0: Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Whatever time of day it is that you tuned in to join us for our online service, we just wanna say welcome and thank you. And we're so glad that you took your time out of your day to join us. Um, If you're new around here, my name is Alex as well. Um, Alex Squared got to serve here together today. And I also have the privilege of getting to be one of the pastors here at the church. Now, we have been in a series for the last 15 weeks journeying through the book of Acts. And today we're going to continue that series out of Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 1. So if you have a Bible, would you mind opening it up and turning to there? Now, as you're doing that, and as you're getting ready for our time teaching through the scriptures, um, these are kind of crazy times that we're living in. I mean, that could have been the biggest overstatement um, or oversimplification that anyone could have said. You're kind of thinking, yeah, well, duh, of course it is. But yeah, they're crazy times. And in crazy times, things that we anticipate or expect or even um we were even maybe uh, used to um, them things happening a certain way all of a sudden, it feels like everything is turned upside down. Things that once we could depend on happening are now being experienced um, in very different ways. And in fact, just yesterday, I was actually walking into Target and uh, I was fiddling with my mask as I walked through the door. And what's a normal experience for me is that when you're walking into a Target, you know, they have those automated doors. Now, the automated doors, when you walk up to them, what do they do? They automatically open, but not yesterday. See, yesterday, they decided to do the very opposite of what they're supposed to do. And since I was so concerned with putting the mask on my face... I didn't actually see it in time to react or to stop. And I had passed that moment, you know, the moment of no return where you go just a little bit too far, but you know what's coming, but you can't stop it. Well, that's exactly what happened to me yesterday. And so I'm walking through the threshold of the door and I'm anticipating the moment. And then I thought, it's just a door. It can't hurt me. Well, little did I know as I'm picking myself up off the ground and as all the peering eyes of everyone and the entryway of Target are looking at me, I realize that I am deeply hurt. I don't know what's hurt worse, my ego or my shoulder for getting knocked over by a door. But my point is this, aside from it being a silly story and a funny illustration, my point is, is that I expected the door to open and it closed It did the exact opposite of what I thought it would do. And that's what life feels like right now. Right when we think something is supposed to happen or is going to happen, it seems like the very opposite of that thing happens. But here's the deal. I have come to this deep place in my own soul um, that I have recognized that although I can't change whether or not the door opens or closes... Right? There's so many things in my life I can't change or I can't anticipate staying the same, but there is one person that is always the same in my life and his name is Jesus. That is the one constant. He is the only one that can provide certainty in my life because when everything else in my world and in your world is uncertain, this is what we know. Jesus never changes. Now, there's a lot happening in this world. I've said it like eight times. If I haven't convinced you already, um, I know you're not living under a rock. There's a lot going on and there's no shortage of an opportunity for you or for me to have an opinion about everything that's happening in this world. I have my own opinions. I mean, shoot, there's a lot happening, whether it's um, peaceful protests or riots, federal agents, police officers, Black Lives Matter, um, uh, masks or no masks, mayors, governors, presidents. it's an election year. And no, not to mention, hey, there's also a global pandemic happening. There's no sor- shortage of things to have an opinion on, and my own included. But today my hope isn't to bring you my opinion on any of these matters. My hope is simply to bring you Jesus and to let him speak to you and to let him to speak to me about how we navigate through this season, faithfully. But before we do, I think it's proper and important for us just simply to say a word of prayer. Jesus, we invite you into this space or whatever space that we're currently tuning in. Um, God, may you speak to your people. And the primary message of this entire text is that we would take a posture of humility recognizing that you are still God, you are still at work, you have not forgotten us, and we simply want to be a part of what you're doing as you're breaking into this world and healing what is broken and bringing things new, fresh in our lives and in the lives of others. So God, may you speak in this time in your name, amen. Amen, well, you have ample time you have turned to Acts chapter 11, starting in verse one. So let me read it to you. Starting in verse one, it says this, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Now, if you remember what happened in the last two weeks of messages, God did something unexpected. He um, told Peter that the message of salvation was not simply for the Jewish people. It was for the entire world. And so he brought Peter into proximity with a man that Peter would have never been in the same room with. And he showed Peter that God's plan to save the world are so much bigger than what Peter could have ever imagined. Now we'll recap that whole story because it's a part of our teaching text. But the point here in the first few verses is that the word had gotten back to the city of Jerusalem. This, This crazy story happened in Caesarea, but somehow the word had traveled back to Jerusalem and there had been enough time passed where there was a group of people that had formed an opposition party and they had even agreed upon a common unified message to protest against Peter and as soon as Peter shows up they criticize him now the word criticize in the greek it literally means to discriminate against to separate and it carries the connotation that they have taken the moral authority and now they have the ability cast judgment on the actions of someone else. In essence, they had developed an opinion about Peter and a whole case against him without ever hearing Peter's side of the story. Without ever actually having a chance to talk to Peter, they had already made a decision about what Peter had done. We would never do anything like that, would we? See, there's a latent warning in this text and it speaks to the temptation to react in anger and judgment before we are even aware of a whole situation. Now, who are the circumcised believers in the text? Well, plain and simply, they are Christians, but they are Jewish. They hold that the Hebrew Bible or what you and I might call as the Old Testament was sacred. And not only that, they um, they understood the practices and the teachings within it. They knew the scriptures well, including the parts that said, if Gentiles wanted to become a part of Israel, they must become thoroughly Jewish. And this included the practice of circumcision. Now, I'm not going to get into all of that. And if you don't know what circumcision is, you can go ask your mom. But circumcision was a sacred symbol not just of the flesh, but of the heart. It was something that was hidden and hidden on purpose, never meant to be exposed, but always known within the person who carries the mark. Now, the mark was an inner reality of a transformed and changed life. So we should not think that these Jewish believers were cold, calculated, religious people. They were deeply pious And they were concerned with the kind of behaviors that were not only in violation of God, but it would erode the shared values of their society and of their families. See, the problem is, is what they were missing was that there is also overwhelming evidence throughout all of scripture that God is actually for the entire world, not just Israel. In fact, Israel's whole purpose was never to isolate themselves from the nations as a whole, but to serve as a nation of priests. So what is a priest? A priest is someone who represents God to the people. Their job was to show what the kingdom of heaven looks like on earth to the nations who are far away from God. But in the time of the book of Acts, in the time of Jesus in Jerusalem, Gentiles and Jews were so far divided. The term for Gentile was Goyim, and Goyim, which could mean Gentile or the nations, it was borderline a derogatory term by the Jewish people. See, for a long standing period of time, the Goyim or the nations ruled with oppressive power over the Jewish people. So the Jewish people saw the Gentiles, not just as other and morally filthy and unrighteous, but they were actually the cause of systemic injustice over them. They were the oppressors and they had clung to these ancient Jewish prophetic texts that said one day a Messiah King would come and he would overthrow the nations and he would restore his rule and his reign in Jerusalem for all time. Now, as pressure built, the tension was borderline explosive by the time of Jesus. And by the time of this text, in 30 or 40 years, the Jewish people would try to revolt against Rome. And Rome would come so swiftly, so terribly, that they would utterly destroy Jerusalem entirely and completely. That's only 30 or 40 years away, which means it was a normal conversation at the dinner table for Peter or for these Jewish people from the moment when they grew up to the moment when they were adults, that the Goyim or the nations were dangerous, that they should be kept aside. They are other and that God is going to do something in judgment against them. So now you understand, maybe in part or maybe more in full, you can understand why they are in such opposition to the very thing that Peter has done. In their mind, scripture, their tradition, their history, and their deep pain was a conclude. And they brought all of those things together. And in conclusion, they believed that God would not allow for something like what Peter had done. Now, here's the interesting part of the story. As we learned the last couple of weeks, Peter was in their exact same boat like a week ago. Peter thought the exact same way that they did. Like a week ago. And Peter had all this time, years, with Jesus himself. So Peter has a long trek, a journey from the capital of the region in Caesarea to Jerusalem. And he has time to process and time to think. I guarantee you, Peter knew that when he stepped foot back in Jerusalem, there was going to be some people that wanted some explanation to this behavior. So Peter has taken time to prepare to the criticism he knows is coming his way. And here's what I think is beautiful. Peter doesn't get defensive. See, instead of getting defensive at the criticism that came his way, this is all Peter can do. He simply tells his story and the journey that the Lord took him on as well. Let's pick it back up in the text. Chapter 11, verse four. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to where I was. I looked into it and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and we entered into the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house And say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? This story is retold three times in the book of Acts. This is the third time. Now, the one thing that's really added in this reiteration of the story is this little clue of the way that Peter was thinking. The line is, then I remembered. In the midst of this situation where God was up to something that Peter would have never anticipated, and he was wrestling with and even trying to correct God for asking him to do this very thing, what came back to his mind was the very teachings of Jesus himself. You know, throughout scripture, the most repeated command um, is believed to be this, remember, remember, because we forget. We forget all sorts of things, Um, but we forget God's faithfulness in our life. We forget God's provision. We forget God's word regularly. And God knows that about us, which is why in his word, he commands us to remember. We're a fickle people. We forget. Peter needed a reminder of the teachings of Jesus in order to understand how Jesus was working in his world and how Jesus would work in any situation. Now, I have to believe that Peter had more than one thought of Jesus. I have to believe that in this long walk from one city to the next, It wasn't just one thought about Jesus that came to his mind, but I would imagine after living with Jesus for three and a half years, experiencing his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection, and spending 40 days with him after he had been raised from the dead, that Peter was flooded with memories of Jesus. Now, this is all um, my imagination. It's obviously not here, but I started to think through if I was in Peter's place, what would some of the words and teachings of Jesus that would be applicable to this circumstance be that would come to mind, that would help me see how to navigate a world like his and a world like mine. And what happened is I began to remember the teachings of Jesus. I want to share with you four. Matthew chapter five. Jesus says this, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Did you know that God has a family business? God's family business is making peace. Now notice this, that making peace and keeping peace are not the same thing. It's important to remember that. You know, keeping peace is oftentimes just maintaining the absence of tension. Making peace is the pursuit of justice and it is a call of righteousness to flow through the land. Making peace is hard work. Keeping peace can be easy. Making peace is not about maintaining the status quo when there is injustice in the land. It is fighting for the oppressed, the marginalized, the disempowered. It is instilling dignity in others because this is the business of our Father in heaven. And get this, making peace is a sacrifice. For justice to be done for our salvation, it cost God his very own life. It cost him the life of his son. So if we are going to be peacemakers, we have to anticipate that it'll cost us something, But Hear me on this. The cost is nothing compared to the reward. And the reward is Jesus. This is what happened to Peter. It cost him something to obey Jesus. It cost him um, his tradition. It cost him his interpretation of scripture. It cost him this sort of track record of only eating with certain people, only um, living with and thinking about certain people, but instead, Now, all of that had to go to embrace something new that was coming. But what was his reward? Cornelius was saved. His family was saved. And Peter's view of God did not diminish, but it was expanded. Second thing um, that I would have thought Peter would have thought about in a situation like this. You know what Jesus did only actually makes sense if he was God. Seriously, like what he did is not a good strategy. As a leader, um, he should not have been successful unless he was God. And here's what I mean. Matthew 10, Jesus calls his 12 disciples to him. He gives them authority to cast out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of some of the 12 apostles. And then as you skip through some of the more common names, you get to two, two that you're like, who are these people? Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot. Now hear me again. This is a bad strategy. If you are trying to be an influential leader, if you're trying to do something in the world at the time, you don't put two sworn enemies on your team. See, Matthew the tax collector was thought to be the scum of Jewish people. He sold out his nation to Rome to line his pockets with money. He abandoned his people for profit. Well, who is the zealot? Well, see, here's the deal. Zealots made a living, killing tax collectors. That's what they did. They were called daggermen and they walked around waiting for an opportunity to cause murder of anyone who was a enemy to the cause of the the Jewish people. Literally, they were sworn enemies and Jesus calls them both to be his disciples. And not only that, he calls them to be brothers. You know, Peter would have lived with these two men for three and a half years. And what's crazy is by the time we get to the story here in the book of Acts, they are still there. They haven't gone anywhere. They haven't disappeared. They haven't gone back to their own ways. Something happened in their life because of the work of Jesus. And Peter had a front row seat to see all of that happen. In fact, one of the reasons I believe that the Bible is real, that Jesus is real, is you don't include these details if you're making up a religion because God had to have done something so audacious, so insane, like uniting two enemies and calling them brothers. Only that could be the evidence that God broke through into our story in the person of Jesus he reconciled two enemies to one another. So when Peter's in this situation and circumstance where he has seen something like this happen, it's a story he might've remembered. Now I have three daughters and they are obviously all so sisters, but yet they are so incredibly different. Here's an example. My oldest is Scarlett. She's almost six. Her idea of a good time is to go into a room and to organize every one of her toys. That's her personality, everything has its place. And she could spend an hour, an hour and a half doing that by herself and she's perfectly happy. Now, my middle kid, middle kids, aren't they fun? My middle kid, Isla, she's almost three. Her idea of a good time is to sneak into Sissy's room when no one's watching and to play with all of her toys and to make a complete mess of the hour and a half worth of work of organizing. Now you can only imagine it's in those very moments when um, family tension arises, when Scarlet feels an injustice has been done to her Barbie dolls, and Isla feels like it was just her right to play with the toys that were in the room. It's in those moments of sharp disagreement that Fallon and I call our girls to unity, not to uniformity that's what I mean. We call them to speak to one another With kindness and respect. Because the way they speak to one another will either bring them together or it will tear them apart. And so, what we don't ask for them to do is to be the same, to feel the same, to act the same, to share the same emotions, to use the same language. We recognize that they are distinctly different, and that is okay. But being different is not the antithesis of being united. We call them to unity. And Jesus calls us to unity, not uniformity. He calls us to be one together, but that doesn't mean we all have to be the same. Now, I can imagine that these are the kind of things that are going through Peter's head as these people are criticizing him for not being the same. Now, I know what some of you are anticipating, I'm anticipating based on your Facebook comments, what you might say in response to me. You would quote Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to this earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Um, (laughs) In the words of Princess Bride, you keep on saying that, but I do not think you know what it actually means. Or does he say, it does not mean what I think you think it means. See, in context here, Jesus isn't asking us to create division in the world or create division amongst one another. In order for, us to say Jesus is saying that, we have to throw out like everything else Jesus actually does say. In the context here, Jesus is actually quoting the prophet Micah. And it's actually really interesting. What it's saying in the context of Micah is God is going to break into the world and do a new thing. But there's going to be people that hold on so tightly to their tradition that they refuse to see that God might be up to something new throughout human history. And you know what's crazy is that's actually exactly what happens in Acts 11. God is doing a new, fresh thing. And there's a group of people who, holding on so tightly to their tradition, refuse to get on board, refuse to see that perhaps God is up to something new. In other words, these people were so concerned with being right that they completely neglected. Being righteous. Or as Francis Schaeffer so eloquently said once, biblical orthodoxy, or having good theology, without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. See, what Jesus is not calling us to is a division that destroys one another, but he, has, he does recognize that there will be people that refuse. To trust in the move of God, to be on board with what He is doing in rescuing people and showing people, even people that are far away from Him, compassion. So the teaching text ends this way. When they heard this, verse 18, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance. That leads to life so it's kind of an unexpected turn of events what perhaps you could anticipate a war of words just about to wage does not happen the common section is empty the timeline is not filled with violent or vile language there is no argument the question is why What happened in the telling of this story that created this response? Here's what I think. When you hear the silence in this passage, what you're really hearing is the sound of humility. Let me say that again. When you hear the silence of those criticizing Peter, what you're really hearing is the sound of humility. You know, it's interesting, we know later from the book of Acts, from Galatians, from Romans, that there's this little band called the circumcision group. They follow Paul around, and they're probably the most annoying thing to Paul in the world. Um, We think they probably came from this group of people at some point. They literally try to undo everything Paul does. But here, everyone in the crowd responds with humility that leads them to praise. So it's interesting, what happens here? Um, I think what happens here is actually described in detail by other apostles elsewhere. Um, It is given to us as an instruction, and I think it's worth reading and remembering some of the words of the other apostles as we wrap our time up together. James says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. I think what this passage sort of evokes in us, particularly in a time like this, the, the sort of admonition or the, the um, um, exhortation that this passage leads us to is a few things. One is this, that we should listen to seek understanding. See, once you find common ground, you can then thoughtfully discuss our differences. We should be slow to speak. And did you know that that's actually a posture of humility? It's okay to not know it all. The text tells us to be slow to anger. Being slow to anger is being compassionate and exhibiting self-control. We should pray for one another. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Don't mute people that you disagree with. Don't block them, don't cancel them or bully them either, but pray for them. Seek to understand them until the anger you feel turns to compassion. And remember the word of God, which has been planted in you. Words planted are words spoken. They're words that have moved beyond simply just your ears and found their way deep inside of your soul. And they bring life to you and to the world around you. So as we end here, there's a few exhortations from the apostles that I want to read over you. And then then as we move into a time of worship and reflection, my encouragement for you is to let these words sink deep into your souls to help you navigate the crazy world that we live in. Paul says in Romans, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Paul in Ephesians says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. The author of Hebrews says this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And finally, the apostle Peter himself speaks these words towards the end of his life. Dear church, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church, would you take a moment now to join us in a time of worship by singing, to take a moment to reflect and let the Lord speak to your soul.
1: There is a name Who reigns without contention Whose power can't be questioned Or contained With humble faith He rules the earth and heavens His glory knows no measure Or refrain, And it's bursting power The borderline to space. See Jesus, Jesus enthroned upon the praises of our hearts. We give you praise. Jesus.
0: a benediction is one of the most ancient practices of the people of God. The very first one recorded in all of scripture is when God creates humanity and he blesses them. If you think about that, within that context, God speaks and creates life itself. There is power in our words, which is perhaps the entire message of the passage today. In fact, so much so that we are imbued with the power of our creator, that our words can bring life just like him. That is why we pray a benediction over you. So church, may you be a people whose words bring life and not death. May you be a people who stand firm in the face of criticism, not returning it in like kind, but responding in the way of Jesus, with humility, with unity and with peace. And may we be a people full of joy that only comes from God's presence and full of peace, which is unexplainable to the world around us simply because we know we have been made right by the creator of the universe, amen. Well, church, thank you so much for spending time with us. Whatever time of day it is, we're so glad that you tuned in. We hope you have a great week. We can't wait to see you again soon. Um, God bless you guys and we'll see you later. Bye.